everybody. Welcome to You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma, where we explore mysteries, hauntings, and family secrets from the great state of Oklahoma and beyond. I'm Shy. And I'm Shanna. We're wannabe mystery solvers and cousins that love to hash out our favorite whodunits over family time. Our husbands are afraid of us. As As they they should be. Okay, guys. It is crazy this week. This shit is bananas. Yay, bananas. And it's a lot of information. Oh, bring it. (laughs) A lot of information. Did it like make your head spin as you were trying to just dive down the rabbit hole? Um, honestly, this whole thing is so crazy town that it's it's just mind-boggling. I love it. Okay. Yes. And there is resolution. Oh, thank God. Okay. To some extent. Thank goodness. So to some extent. <laughs> to some extent, there is resolution. Okay. So there's a whole lot to unpack here. Okay. So and I need, I need to uh, just sit back and get comfy. Yes. Like chill in my closet. Just chill like a bill. On, on my pile of shoe boxes and yep. pillows that we have set yes. up to make us comfy in here. Yes, queen. Okay. All get my sh- your tea. My shoes. Oh, my tea. Thank yes. you. Get your tea and your muffin and get Got ready. It. I'm ready. This is the Mennonite drug cartel. <laughs> Uh, wait, I'm going to need you to repeat that one more time. <laughs> this is a story all about how the Mennonites started running drugs. The Mennonites. Those are the ones. Okay. Yes. Okay. Just, okay. It's words that should not go together. They do not. <laughs> but they went together, and now we have a story about it. Oh, my God. I cannot wait. Okay. Okay. Hit me. So... We are going to start with the very basics. Okay. Because if you're like me and did not grow up in a community that had a lot of Mennonite people, right? You might not know what a Mennonite is. Correct. Okay. Okay. And a lot of people get Mennonites and Amish confused. Oh, okay. Or use those terms interchangeably. Okay. Okay. So Mennonites. Can go I ahead. Just, can I just yes. interject? Shanna and I are not the most religious of people. No. So any type of denomination of Christianity or any type of religion, um, we are very foreign to. Yeah, it is quite confusing to me, and I'm trying my darndest. Hopefully, I don't butcher it. You're gonna do great. Okay, it's gonna be great. Okay, so Mennonites are part of an overarching belief system of Anabaptists. Okay? Okay. Stay with me. Okay. Okay. Don't zone out yet. I won't. So these Anabaptists were sort of born out of the radical reformation that happened in like the 16th century in Europe. Okay? okay. We're not going to get super serious about it. This was like, after Martin Luther nailed the things to the door in Germany. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and people started being like, oh, we don't have to be Catholic? Cool. Yeah. Let's do other stuff. Right. Okay. 
So the Anabaptists were sort of part of that Reformation in that they do not believe in baptizing babies. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, So they just formed a whole ass religion on we're taking a stand against baptizing babies and we will not baptize people until they are able to make the adult decision to uh, follow Christ. Okay. All righty. Yes. Love that for them. Hopefully I didn't butcher it. I I know that's not like the whole thing, but that's the basis of where they're coming from. Right. Okay. So Mennonites and Amish are, like I said, sometimes interchangeably referred to. Okay. And it's because Amish are also Anabaptists. Okay. Okay. So they have sort of a similar belief system, but the Amish community is a little more insulated, a little more reticent to, um, you know, do modern electricity and television and stuff like that. So they stay a little more insulated from the modern world, if you will. Yeah. Mennonites are also insulated to some degree, but more willing to sort of weave into modern society. So it could be like the Amish still do horse-drawn buggy, right? but the Mennonites can maybe drive a Ford truck. For sure. Okay. For sure. 100%. Yes. Um, Known in general for being very hard workers, very honest people, kind of keep to themselves. Pacifists. They are pacifists as well. I can staunch pacifists. Okay. So back in uh, 1600s, 1700s, give or take, um, these Mennonite and Anabaptist populations started settling in the Eastern U.S. Okay. 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 So they come to Pennsylvania. Then they are also uh, immigrating to Canada and throughout the the U.S. There's Mennonite settlements all over the U.S. Okay. So during that time, obviously we are having like revolutionary war, Mm -hmm. civil war, Mm -hmm. um, all that jazz. Right. So the reason why I mentioned the wars is because if Mennonites were caught, um, participating or volunteering for service in those wars, mm-hmm. they could be excommunicated from their communities because they are pacifists. Pacifist. Okay. Let's not fight. Yeah. Let's okay. keep it peaceful, you. Yeah. I mean, we're about that life. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> <laughs> so now that you have Literally the most bare minimum knowledge on on Mennonites. I'm really okay with bare minimum knowledge on Mennonites. Okay. So now that you're sort of up to speed. Got it. um, In about the 1920s, so early 1900s, um, a, a group of Mennonites went from Saskatchewan in Canada. Okay. And Manitoba in Canada. Okay. 
and traveled, like got their families together and traveled down to Mexico. Okay. The region of Chihuahua. So she, I don't know how to say that properly and I don't want to be offensive. Yeah, no. Ch- Chihuahua. Well, I'm going to say that. That's just what. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. They wanted somewhere warm. That area. Got it. So what they found was that they were able to purchase like 200,000 acres of land. What? In Mexico, in that area of Mexico. And they were able to set up a homestead. Um kind of bring more people into that area. Okay. And at some point, it became hundreds of thousands of Mennonites in that region. Dang, okay. Okay. So, people were sort of going back and forth between Canada, that area of Canada, Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Canada, and this region of Mexico. That's where families were from and they moved back and forth um, and all that jazz. So remember, this is in the early 1900s. Yeah. And these people were setting up farms. They were peddling grains and, you know, meats and vegetables and stuff like that at farmer's markets, local farmer's markets. But they only spoke German and they had blonde hair and blue eyes. So stuck out like sore thumbs. Like sore thumbs. Okay. Bless them. Yeah. But they just sort of fit in and no one really gave them any trouble because they were hard workers. Mm -hmm. They provided for their families. Mm -hmm. They took care of their community. Yeah. um, and, And everything like that. So they were selling grains to local Mexican, um, you know the Mexican communities and stuff like that and trading with them and uh, everything was kosher, right? Nice, okay. So over the years, um, the economic situation in that region of Mexico sort of went downhill and violence increased. There were maybe some drug cartels operating out of that area. Um you know, running drugs into the U.S. and all that jazz. So um, a lot of Mennonite families had left and moved back to Canada. Yeah. And just were like, peace out, Mexico. Bye. Right. Um, So I read a a statistic that said in about 2003, about 80,000 Mennonite people still remained in that area. So it wasn't Everybody just fled. It wasn't a huge exodus out no. of no. Mexico. There okay. was still a large population. That is a lot of people. Okay. A lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, kids. Kids in their rock and roll. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Those damn kids. Those damn kids in their rock and roll. <laughs> the rebellious kids. So... The Mennonite youth in that area, um, it's a dusty area. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot to do. Probably a little desolate out there, right? Right. And they're pretty insulated against 
modern society. Right. Okay. okay. Plus, there's just not a lot to do out there. True. Anyway, mm-hmm. so um, there is a high incidence of youth drinking. No. So underage drinking. I don't even know if it's underage drinking because I don't know what the drinking law is down there. Um, but uh, youth drinking, which is not a thing in Mennonite culture. Right. Um, and, you know, drug use, hot rotting in their pickups. Oh, my gosh. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So some kids kind of started to rebel against against their community and their culture and things like that. And um, maybe started getting into some drug activity. Okay. 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 All right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did read an interesting statistic. There are like in this community, so it's like a it's it's in a large geographic area. Okay. But it is considered um the the Mennonite community. Okay. So okay. it's it's not an incorporated city, it's not anything like that. It's just kind of homesteads all kind of tied together okay. by well, people that know each like other. 200,000 acres. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So um, there are, at any given time, around 10 active AA groups in this area that are specifically for mostly German-speaking Mennonites. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh- there's a bit of a drinking problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Alcohol and drug problem is a real thing. Yep. And they're trying to do something for it. Right. Uh, also, I did read that there is a 60-bed rehab center fully dedicated to Mennonites that are coming off drugs. Wow. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um so it's a whole thing. It's they are not immune to the same issues that we are. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's good that they at least um are trying to they're trying it and they're they're not um blind to it. Right. And they're not pretending like it doesn't exist. Correct. Yes. They're trying I, to get help. I feel like there are some denominations of Christianity that are truly, um, we don't drink and do drugs and love yeah. to live that lie. Yeah. And we, just pretend mm-hmm. like it doesn't exist for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like we uh, we saw that firsthand growing up. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Good so. for you. Good for you, <laughs> Mennonites, like owning up to it. Yeah. They're, they're trying to do what they can. It's awesome. So... Anyway, let's bring it to the 80s, late 80s. Yes. We live our best lives in the 80s. Love the 80s. (laughs) Hashtag the 80s. Go. So there was a gentleman named Abraham Harms. Okay. Harms. Love that his name was Abraham. There are so many Abrahams in this story, so you've got to really keep it like. So we're going to use last names. Harms. This was Abraham Harms. Harms. Got it. Okay. Okay. So. He was a local Mennonite mechanic and farmer, right. a very respected uh, piece of the puzzle there. Okay. Okay. Um, also is credited with being the first person to bring drugs into the Mennonite community. 
I don't know if credited is, is the right word. They say he is. Yeah. The first person. Right. Accused. <laughs> he is accused quietly of being the first person yes. to bring drugs in. Right. So he started smuggling marijuana in the 80s. So this is smuggling marijuana um, on routes from their community in Mexico through the U.S. and up into Canada. Oh, damn. Okay, so when we're talking about those smuggling routes, we are talking specifically about Mexico all the way to Canada. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, he was the first Mennonite to ever be arrested. In the history of Mennonites? Or just in this community? I don't know. Okay. I don't know the full answer to that. I want to uh, just pretend that he's the first one in Mennonite history to ever be arrested. I also would like to believe that. That's kind of fun. Thank you, Rebel. Yeah. Abraham Holmes. Let's continue with that narrative. Okay. First Mennonite to ever be arrested. Okay. Okay. So, he was subsequently convicted for cross-border drug trafficking. Okay? Okay. I just, okay. <laughs> Cross-border drug trafficking. So. Multiple borders, not just one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, um, okay. So, they said he had a nearly perfect front. Oh, does it tell you what the front is? For his distribution. He used farmhouses. Okay. In Southwest Ontario. Okay. Canada. Yeah, right. We're, we're in Canada. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to stash drugs and money. Okay. And then he recruited Mennonites to move his drugs through the U.S. and Canada. I would love to know that conversation. Same. Like, how do you recruit these people who are supposedly so staunch? Pious. Yeah. Yeah, like religion is key and you have you can't do these harmful things against you know, yeah. Yeah. God or whoever. Yeah. And I want to know how that conversation I would love to know how that conversation went down. So, you have to also remember we're in like an economic depression. Okay. In Mexico at that time. Okay. And I'm sure that conversation went, hey, do you want to make some money? Right. I know your farm isn't doing great. Would you like to take a trip to Canada and visit your uncle and make some money? 100%. Okay. (laughs) So it said, because he was a mechanic, Uh he was very knowledgeable about um, all the little pieces of a car. Okay. Or truck. Got it. So he became very, very good at secreting away little hatches and hidden compartments in vehicles. <laughs> okay. To carry drug stashes. My lord. Okay. Yep. yep. So then he'd run them up to Ontario and. I would love to know if he had women with him as this front. Um, we'll get to that. Okay. 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 Th- that was actually part of the front was that um, the mules, the people that he recruited to drive, he would literally be like, load your family up 
here's this car. Go visit your grandpa. Go visit your grandpa. Okay. And did the people know? Did they not know? Who knows? (gasps) Okay. Okay. Oh my gosh. So yes, there were families involved. They were definitely like riding in the cars. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So in 1989, he was caught and imprisoned in Canada. All right. Okay. Canada. (laughs) He made bail and fled to Mexico. Of course. Back to their um, Mennonite community. So two years later, he is still a fugitive from the law in Canada, but they're like not trying that hard. Right. Obviously, because he's in his house in Mexico. Right. Okay. Um, he's still a fugitive from the law in Canada, and he dies in a car crash in Mexico. Fair enough. Like, wow. okay, right? But, but. There's a but there. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's quite a lot of speculation that one of his sons, Enrique, orchestrated that car accident to get rid of him because his dad was a liability. Okay. One. <laughs> Digest that for okay. a minute. Well, first of all, German blonde hair, blue eye has a son named Enrique. Uh-huh. And I will show you a picture of him. Okay. And he looks... He looks like a blonde hair, blue-eyed hillbilly. Okay. 100,000%. Okay. How old was his son? Does it say? It doesn't say. I I think he was probably in his early 20s at that time. Okay. So he probably knew dad was now a liability. And he was obviously involved in the family business. Obviously. Right? So no one knows this for a fact. Okay. I mean, people have made documentaries about these people and it's a whole thing in Canada. It's so insane. Okay. Okay. No one knows this for a fact, Mm -hmm. but it is speculated that Abraham Harms is said to have at least five sons and one daughter. Okay. So his, he's got his son Enrique. Right. That's participating in the family business. Got it. Mm -hmm. He also has another son that became like a, a Mexican movie star. He's like an actor in Mexico. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, okay. I told you, this, this I is, gave you full disclosure at the beginning that this shit is bananas. It is, yes. It is quite bananas, and it's making me want to laugh hysterically, but, okay. It's a whole thing. I it's just, a whole thing. Okay. <laughs> it, Got it. It is an entire thing. He's, did he play in the Mexican, like, soap operas? I have no idea. Oh, my God. I can find out. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. I didn't even follow that trail because I got so far down this this rabbit hole. I was like, sweet Jesus. Like, I need to know if he was, like, on these Mexicans. Like, We'll find out. We'll do a Google. Ooh, okay. We'll do a Google. Okay. Okay. So, Abraham Harms uh, dies in a car accident. Right? Got it. Okay. Everybody's very sad. Of course. So sad, in fact, that there is a song that a Mexican band wrote in memoriam of his good deeds as a drug dealer and stuff. Okay. Wow. So that's just a, that's just a side note. Okay. All right. (laughs) My Lord. So his son Enrique 
maybe probably set him up to be killed in a car accident. Gotta get rid of dad. (laughs) It is said that Enrique is in cahoots, or was, in cahoots, running a cartel with El Chapo. (gasps) No. Mm -hmm. It's true. The Sinaloa cartel. What? Mm -hmm. He was participating in that. It's terrifying. That with him. That's why daddy's dead. I mean, listen, there's a whole lot of casualties from this thing. Oh, God. It's it's a whole thing. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I thought Ozark was just... (laughs) Do you know I stopped watching that show? Because it gives you anxiety. It gave me such anxiety. (laughs) Watching, I think, was it the first or second episode when someone's thrown off the roof and they hit the pavement right in front of... Yeah. Jason Bateman. Yeah. I was Spoiler out. Spoiler alert. I was out. If you haven't watched Ozark, <laughs> I won't watch it, but I'm sure, well, if, whatever. Someone dies in Ozarks. In Ozark. A lot well, of people. A lot of people die. Anyway, no. I stopped at that point. I was like, nope. No, no, no. Nope. I'm going to have a panic attack. So, I'm out. But I love Jason Bateman. Hey, anxiety disorders are real. It's a real thing. <laughs> So real. So he is maybe probably Enrique. I'm talking about Enrique. Got it. Enrique is maybe probably in bed with El Chapo. Helping. Quite a love triangle there. Yes. Helping distribute for the Sinaloa cartel. That's terrifying. Got it. (laughs) And uh, so this is where our story kind of uh, intertwines with Oklahoma. What? Yeah, we're okay. bringing it full circle. We're bringing it full circle back to the great state. In 99. Okay. Okay. Um. So, let's see here. Abraham Harms was killed in a car accident in 91. Okay. Okay, 91. Okay. Between 91 and 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, El Chapo and Enrique. Okay. Living their best lives. Yep. Um, using Mennonite families to distribute drugs. Good Lord. Throughout the distribution route that they have so determined. Okay. That's terrifying. Because you, you know at that point when El Chapo took over that these people were not doing it at their own will. More than likely they were being like, if you don't, I'm going to cut off your sister's head. I definitely think there was more murder and torture and mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and death probably in and around this community than was ever disclosed right because they're very insulated oh my god they don't even um have like their birth and death records oh logged with the state okay that's like right that. it's very mm-hmm. insulated yeah okay. so nobody knows Holy when hell. someone goes missing, no one knows. That's, oh my god! Yeah, it's the perfect. It's the perfect scenario for the cartel. Absolutely, you think about it. absolutely. And they know that they prey on people, right? Yeah, that are they, isolated. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They totally prey on people. Oh my god! So in '99, a gentleman named Abraham uh-huh. Weeby. Okay, so we're going to call him Weeby. Love it. He was stopped on 
suspicion of DUI okay. in a little town called Thomas, Oklahoma. I know where Thomas, Oklahoma is. Yes. Yes. I know it. Oh, so well. It's a blink of an eye and you are out. Yeah. It's a okay. town of 1,100 people. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Thomas Terriers. The Terriers. Terrorers. Terrorers? <laughs> is their mascot. I love it. So he was stopped in Thomas by a like sheriff's deputy or a police police local town cop, somebody. Okay. Um and he would have gotten his second DUI charge. So he was in risk of losing his license and doing prison time. Okay? Yeah. But old Abe. Good old Abe. Abe said, hey, do you want some information, though? Because I have some information on drug smugglers. Abraham, what are you doing? What are you doing, Abraham? Yeah, I would have just taken the DUI and rolled with it, but that's just me. Same. (laughs) Was he not scared of El Chapo? Uh, Was he... Did he not know at that time to be completely terrified of the cartel? From these, they don't care. From these news stories that quote Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics agents and also um, anonymous undercover drug agents that worked with this guy, he was not worried about it. He was completely ignorant. Yeah. He was like, oh, it'll be fine. I'm going to sell out some cartel people and it's going to be fine. And I'll live to see tomorrow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so he tells these people, hey, I, I have knowledge of these massive marijuana and cocaine shipments that are going in and out of Mexico all the way to uh, Canada. Oh, good. Would you like that information? If so, please drop my DUI charge. A DUI, okay. Uh-huh. And they were like, cool, yeah, let's do that. Because that sounds great, right? It's totally great. <laughs> so, the OSBI, Oklahoma State Bureau, nope, Oklahoma, OBN, wow, too many bureaus. Here. So many bureaus. Wow. Okay, so the OBN, which is the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics. Okay. 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 They put him on the payroll as paid informant. Oh, shit. Okay. They set him up in a farmhouse outside of Thomas. Mm-hmm. It just, it makes you wonder if you ever drove by that farmhouse. Right? And how many people are just like, yeah, it's farmhouse. It's that farmhouse that that random blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy lives in. Yeah. Just this new guy in town. Yeah. He lives in this farmhouse. Just chilling. What? There's a lot of cars that go in and out of there, but he's a popular guy. Yeah, he sells corn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> So they add him to the payroll, they put him in a house and put him under surveillance. So they've got wiretaps going, they've got video from afar, they've got cell phones, all the things. Okay. So okay. they're recording stuff. They're, I assume this guy's probably wearing a wire at like all times. Oof. He's probably chafed from Oof. head to toe. Probably. Um, and soon marijuana starts rolling in. To the farmhouse. They are using it as a stash house. Okay, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So he was stopped in Thomas. Mm-hmm. 
Did he live in Thomas at the time? It does not say. It does not say. So what, so if he didn't, and then all of a sudden he's like, hey, I'm just going to set up shop here in Thomas because I think it's a good plan. And the cartel's like, cool, cool. It's in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Yeah, but wouldn't that raise an alarm at some point and then be like, why are you all of a sudden, why did you pick this town? I don't know. Maybe they gave him a good story. Maybe they gave him a good cover story. Like small town. I have a farmhouse. No one will see us. You know what I'm saying? No, 100%. But I also think that we are sheltered. (laughs) And (laughs) are we? There's drugs running in and out of houses that we would never suspect. Oh, right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So that's just my thought about all of that. Um, so he is set up in the farmhouse. He's accepting his, basically his Amazon deliveries of weed. Okay. <sighs> I love it. Um, and starts getting all of these deliveries of weed. They're actively using it as a stash house to, you know, Bringing weed in, taking weed out, moving it up the, moving it up the conveyor belt, the supply chain. Yep. Okay. And um, as the weeks passed, the loads of marijuana started getting larger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as a thousand pounds of weed per shipment. How are they bringing it in? Does it say like? Is it on like trucks and trucks and? It cow does not that, say because I mean weed doesn't weigh that much. So if it's a thousand pounds, it's that's a lot, a lot of, weed. of weed. Yeah, it said a street value of seven hundred thousand dollars in the nineties. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it was determined that Weeby and several other players here okay. in Oklahoma were taking orders from a gentleman called Martin Rene Cisneros. Okay. And he had a fun little trailer house in Eakley, Oklahoma. Okay. okay. So right down I-40. Okay. Out by Clinton. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, what you're talking about. Teeny okay. tiny little town. Yep. He had a trailer house out there and he was running an operation from there. And sort of calling the shots. Wow. For okay. these folks in Oklahoma. Oh, mm-hmm. all right. Okay. So eventually, these drug shipments were traced back to Enrique <gasps> in Mexico. Okay. And <laughs> man, it's so much. There's just so much information. It's insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> They, okay, so it says they did have truck drivers. So I assume they were using like cattle trucks and stuff like that. But when, in my mind, when you say truck drivers, I'm envisioning a semi. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like okay. cattle, like cattle trucks. Cat, <gasps> you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, the big yeah. stinky Livestock ones. Trucks. Uh-huh. Yeah, that stink. Yeah. Can't smell weed over cow Cows shit. Are, nope. So, no. not at all. That's what I'm going with. Okay. Um, so, 
they were also able to nail down that one of their delivery drivers, a gentleman named Gerald Newman, who was an elderly bearded man that they referred to as Santa Claus. Santa Claus was helping the drug cartel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He that. was transporting loads of marijuana. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Delivering gifts. <laughs> Delivering gifts of the best kind. Yes. To those deserving adults. Yes. <laughs> they were not on the bad list. <laughs> or they were. So, essentially, after the wiretaps and the cell phone conversations and everything like that, it took them approximately 10 months But the Bureau of Narcotics was able to arrest 16 people. All right. Okay. Indict eight others. They confiscated 10,000 pounds of marijuana. For the love. And 2,300 pounds of cocaine. Shit. Shit. All of it, they determined, was shipped from the Mennonite settlement in Mexico. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. So everything was great. These Bureau of Narcotics people were like, Weeby is a hero. He is the shit. He totally helped us get these fucks, right? Right. Um, which, let's be clear, that's like a drop in the bucket. But uh, Yeah. Um, they all love Weeby. Apparently, he was a very nice, jovial man and was very kind to them. And... They, even this Thomas police officer that tried to arrest him wound up having kind of like a friendship relationship with him. And yeah, they were, they all loved him. So everything was hunky-dory. They're, you know, prosecuting these people and all that jazz. Until Weeby decided to go back and visit his family in the Mennonite settlement in Mexico. Why would he do that? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what the his agent that was assigned, that's what his agent said. Like, that's a bad plan. Do not. Yeah. Like, you you really have to give up your whole family now. Yeah, that's a real bad plan. Mm-hmm. That's a bad decision, buddy. Um, and he was like, no, it's fine. Everything's cool. We're pacifists or whatever. He didn't say that, but that's, I mean. Well, if you think about it. Yeah. That's what probably what he... Yeah. And his mind is thinking, like, they're not going to hurt me because that's we don't believe in that. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Which makes me think that he probably wasn't part of the distribution network. He probably just had knowledge of it from living there. You know what I mean? Yes. Because if you were in that, you would be like, I'm not messing with these people. Yeah, they will kill me. They 100% will kill me over some weed. Yes. Right? Yes. So, he takes himself down to Mexico. Oh, From Oklahoma. He left his cushy little farmhouse in in Thomas. I mean, you can only take so much of a tiny little town in Oklahoma. That's fair, but also I'm not going into the den of a drug cartel in Mexico just for a getaway. I mean, but if you think that everything's all hunky-dory because you're pacifist. I guess. You are so, so misled. (laughs) Hindsight is twenty twenty. That's true. Um, so <laughs> here we are. So come to find out, he goes missing. No one hears from him for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And 
they're asking around. The the OBN agents are kind of asking around their other informants and saying, hey, uh, what do you know about Abraham Weeby? Like, we have lost track of him, and he went to Mexico and said he was coming back, and he is not back. He's gone. Right? Yeah. Um, so, through the rumor mill from the informants... Um, that were still involved kind of with the cartel activities. Through the rumor mill, they find out that Weeby was likely castrated, electrocuted, and dumped in a lake. So he was tortured. And dumped in a lake. In and dumped in a lake. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pacifist. Yeah, they're killing it. Um... And no one knows if this was at the behest of Enrique Harms or El Chapo. I'm going to say El Chapo. Yeah. I mean, at that point, they're kind of the same person, right? They're the same on my list. It's true. But, so, uh, Enrique still lives his best life, has not been imprisoned in any sort of way. They have never charged anyone uh, with the death of Weedy because they can't find him. They don't even know if he's dead or alive. Nobody, no crime. Right. It's all rumor and innuendo at this point in time. Um, just saying. And since then, El Chapo has been imprisoned. Right. Right. Um, but they think Enrique is still involved in... Some branch of that cartel. 1,000%. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. 1,000%. Terrifying. Yeah. So that is... It's crazy, and there's way more information than this, but it all it all is like how agents from various um, from various localities yeah. in Canada and in the U.S. and everything um, are getting these Mennonite drug mules to try to flip on. The, the Sinaloa car- cartel. The cartel. And they're like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Give me my five-year sentence or whatever. Yeah. They're like, I'm okay. Not going to say anything. I I saw what happened yeah. to Weeby. We saw what happened to Weeby. I'm not, I'm not about that life. Mm-mm. I'm not about that death either. He was only trying to get out of a DUI. I know. Like, oh my Lord, dude. A DUI in the 80s? Yeah. Like. No, nine, late 90s. Okay, 90s. But still, the- pre-9-11. Blonde hair, blue eye, dude. Yeah. DUI. Yeah. No. Fine. You're gonna be. You're. You'll be out within a year. So yeah. calm down. Yeah. And then you'll be able to still run your drugs. Yeah. Oh my lord. Oh my gosh. That. I. I love that it. <laughs> that was insane. Uh huh. Um. I love that. Uh, uh, Mennonites were involved. I don't love it. That's not the right word. It's just so... It's bizarre. It's bizarre that this very peaceful um, denomination of Christianity... Got sucked into the cartel. Completely sucked into the cartel. Like Catholics, I believe that 100%. I believe... I I think all of this shows is that no one is immune to the lure of easy money. E- yep. Yep. Easy right. money. 
load your family up in this car that I'm providing to you to use. Mm -hmm. And don't ask me any questions. Yes. And drive to Canada and see your uncle. Yeah. And then come back in a week and a half. Right. Or whatever. I think it's also, to me, it's a, um, it just goes to show that um, any Christian religion um, is kind of overlooked at being capable of doing um, such heinous things. Right. Right. Like if it's, if it were some other religion, then, oh, dear God. Yeah. Like, oh, we knew this was going to happen because they don't worship Jesus. Yeah. Or whatever. In the expected way. Yes. And like you said, like they were not immune to. No. To this easy money. Like no. no one is. And if you think one religion is easier to um to manipulate to manipulate and yeah. turn evil, then you're quite ignorant, I think. Yeah. Nice. I love that, Shane. That was such a good story. It's crazy. It's so crazy. It's so nuts. It's just oh my god. And like, there are documentaries. I documentaries. S- several documentaries from the CBC which is the Canadian Broadcasting Company. I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. They produced Shit's Creek. Yes. <laughs> um, they have several documentaries and like news hour broadcasts and stuff like that about Mennonite mafia, Mennonite cartel, like all this stuff. And I'm just, u- they're just using this sect of religion as a front. Basically. 1,000%. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. We're peace, peaceful, loving humans. We would never hurt another. Yeah. I don't even have a got, cell phone. How could I run drugs? Yeah. All the while, they're castrating people and electrocuting them. Mm-hmm. Throwing them in lakes and shit. hmm Oh, my God. I love that so much. Yep. That so was great. That's the story of uh, old Abe Weeby and the uh, Mennonite drug cartel. I love that. Thanks, Shan. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode or you're just really optimistic that we'll only get better from here, like, subscribe, follow You're Doing Fine Oklahoma on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at You're Doing Fine OK Pod. That's you are underscore doing underscore fine underscore OK underscore pod.